Welcome to Boiling Point, the podcast to motivate ever-evolving entrepreneurs and forward-thinking movement pioneers. Our hosts, filmmaker Greg Hemmings and executive coach Dave Vale, are turning up the heat in the world's business communities. Our interviews with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers are raising the temperature of inspiration. Live from the hottest studio in this quadrant of the universe, here are Dave and Greg. Hey, Boiling Pointers. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode. Before we start, Dave and I want to let you know all about our Boiling Point process, online courses, live events, and masterminds. After interviewing hundreds of leaders, we've packaged a ton of knowledge together to serve up to you. Info that will help you and your company be heard in a very noisy marketplace. So visit www.boilingpointprocess.com and sign up for the email newsletter and we'll let you know when our next cohort or event is. Thanks also for supporting The Boiling Point by subscribing to us on iTunes and also leaving a rating for us. What I think we should do is we're talking like we've got this all figured out. We want to bring a real expert up who's going to actually dig into it and give us and le- help us learn more about the importance of Avatar. Um, so, Alan Gates, uh, Bonfire. Welcome to the Bowling Point. Bowling, yeah, welcome to the Bowling Point. Come on up. You're with us. Um, so, Alan's been a guest mm-hmm. uh, uh, with Lisa. Um, maybe you could do a little intro um, so people know a little more about, you know, Huddle, Bonfire, you know, you, all that good stuff. Sure. Well, so before we begin, I'm getting a real Muppet Show vibe from this environment today. Does any, anybody know what I mean by that? Like a little Statler and Waldorf? Uh, We're totally uh, yeah. Just the whole so draping here. Yeah. We, we smile a little bit more, though. Okay, yeah. So, okay, I'm, I'm glad I'm not the only one. Yeah, yeah. So, who are you? Uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll find out, I guess. So, uh, um, we could probably get Rogaine to be a sponsor for the... Uh, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, it happens to all of us. What are you talking about? We're going to hashtag Rogaine for that picture. Yeah, that's right. Um, so thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Great to see everybody here today. Um, I've started two companies in the last uh, seven, eight years. First is Bonfire Stories, Bonfire Communications. We're a marketing agency. We're over in Brunswick House. And the one that I think I'm probably better known for would be Huddle.today, which how many of you know Huddle? All right. Oh, nice. man, that's All good. Right. Stuff. Yeah. Well done. And I, I've always asked that question when I do a talk. In the early days, it would be a couple people would kind of tentatively put up their hand, and then that got more and more. So now we're seeing more and more people uh, with familiarity with the product. So Huddle Today, for those of you who don't know, is an online business magazine um, serving New Brunswick. So right now, um, and Dave Stonehouse would know this better than most, there are no dedicated business reporters in New Brunswick except at Huddle. So in the olden days, there would be any number of them at the Telegraph Journal or the Times Transcript or the Daily Gleaner. Uh, CBC does not cover business, except in a negative way. No disrespect to them, but that's kind of their, their scene. Um, and we kind of got frustrated. We were kind of annoyed at the kind of toxic narrative about New Brunswick. Right? So everything we read in the media was, everything sucks, everybody's leaving, there are no jobs here. And that's not my experience. Uh, my experience is there are plenty of jobs if you know what you're doing and you're willing to work hard. Um, we actually struggle to find people um, to work with us. So we thought we would try to do something about it. How could we help? What could we do to contribute to that? So we came up on the idea of launching Huddle, and we, we built it in six weeks and turned it on without telling anyone. So we didn't have a big marketing plan. We didn't get a lot of investors. We just kind of said, let's build it. Let's try it. Uh, Sharice Letson is here today. She just looked up. God, oh, my God, what's he saying about me? Um, <laughs> is our associate editor who's been with us from the very beginning and has helped build the, the, the site. Um, and it's worked. So now we're getting, 
90 to 100,000 users every month. Uh, visiting the site, wow. couple hundred thousand page views. Well done. I think you know. To, to I'm a Seth Godin fanboy, like Greg is and, and Dave is. And Seth has a great question: Would you be missed if you were gone? And I think Huddle would be missed if it was gone. Now. So we kind of feel like we've we've hit a bit of a seven a.m. in my inbox. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and sometimes it's like seven ten, and I'm like, it's like on? the alarm clock. Yeah. What um what is the the demographic of Huddle? Where are your readers hanging out? Yeah, I think you know we we would see it as a bit different than the Telegraph Journal, which I think you know Dave was being kind and describing it as you know seniors and shut-ins and and prisoners probably too. I would say no, I'm kidding. Uh, you know, they're they're it's a great paper and 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 it's very important. I think when we think about Huddle, we actually started it with two kind of tribes in mind. We called them the Eric's and the Dan's. We had two personas in mind. Uh, so the Eric could have been a woman's name or a man's name, but it's it's a young professional, probably 30 to 40 university educated, living in New Brunswick by choice. So probably from here, um, but it's here by choice. So they could go to Toronto, they could go to Calgary, they could go wherever, get a good job, make more money, you know, pay a million dollars for a, a duplex in Scarborough or something like that. But they're here by choice and they believe in the province. And then the older segment would have been someone who would be, you know, probably still read the paper, uh, still listen to CBC radio, but was comfortable using their phones to get information. So those were the two kind of people we thought about. As we've grown, we've evolved it into what we call MOPs. So MOPs are managers, owners, professionals, and entrepreneurs. And that's kind of our core audience. So we know who MOPs. we're trying to reach. Um, my sister's my sister's a teacher in the Miramichi. Uh, my other sister's a physiotherapist. They don't particularly read Huddle. Um, they might tell me they do, like kind of like your, your in-laws yeah, do. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, no, I remember. <laughs> that's great. What's the last one you read? Yeah, uh, uh, that was a while ago, yeah. But, but the thing. Um, so it doesn't, it doesn't really matter to me that they don't read it because they're not really who we're trying to right. build a product for. So it's right. okay. Right. So I don't get offended at Christmas. Um, so, so how badly did we massacre the Identify Your Avatar? No, I think you were pretty close. I mean, we call them personas, but it's tomato, tomato, same idea. And I think it's really key to, to begin any kind of you know, personal brand or corporate brand program understanding who you're selling to. So I have a saying, there's no such thing as the general public. So when we have a client come to us and I say, who are you selling to? And they'll say the general public. It's like, no, right. no. It's Can't not. work so with you. That, that would have been like, <laughs> like us originally. Greg and I, yeah. you would have no. said, see you guys later. See, you know, hopefully your business makes it three years. Well, you know, when you say the general public or I only need 5% of the market to make a billion dollars, you know, that kind of thinking, um, it shows that you haven't really done the hard exercise of making the tough choices about who you're actually selling to. And it's a challenge, I know, and we face it every day at Bonfire, is who you're selling to can change. You don't want to say no to business. Um, but at the same time, you have to figure out who, who's going to deliver you the most value to your company. Right? So if you chase every you know, small-time CEO or, or small business owner yeah. uh, and they can't pay you what you're worth, you're not going to have a very yeah. viable business. So you have to make choices. And that's tough when you start out because you don't want to turn away business. Right? It requires a certain degree of discipline to say, okay, this is who we're selling to. Uh, I'm going to focus on them, and sometimes I'm going to say no to people that might actually pay us to do things. And that, you know, and that's a really good point because that is extremely hard when you're bootstrapping, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And you, that revenue looks really good, mm-hmm. right? And it, you know it doesn't fit, and that you had to work hard to get it, and the margin's not that great on it. But and you always regret it when you do it. Yes, this is what I've learned too. Yeah. It's like, uh, well, I don't really want to do that project, but you yeah, know, I knew I should have done uh, that. Yeah, and it, Alan, it, is there a way in those situations? Because we all do it. We still do it. I'm sure you still do it too. Every once in a while, one of those client opportunities comes in that you're, you may even lose money doing, but if there's a way that you can negotiate with them um, something to help help you define or reach your avatar better, 
Um, is there strategies around that? For example, taking on a, a, a project that you're not going to make a very good margin on, but can you say to your client, listen, we don't typically do this, but what I need from you outside of paying me what you can is X, Y, and Z to help us elevate our brand? Yeah, I think there's opportunities with that. We, we've done a lot of work with startups uh, over the last number of years. And so startups don't have a lot of money usually. Um, so they're kind of bad clients in that sense. It's a small team. But we can make an impact with them that shows how good we can be. Right? So we can do work that, that helps them grow and succeed, and that reflects well on us. So that's been a very positive strategic move. We've had other clients. We had one this week. I was telling someone at the break that uh, a larger organization in town came and said, we want you to prepare four ads, four digital ads, um, we want you to do it first and show it to us, and then we'll decide if we're going to pay you and we're going to ask three or four other people to do this. So I won't tell you what I said to myself, and I didn't say it quite that bluntly in, in my email back, but I said, sorry, we don't do spec creative, thank you. Because that's garbage, right? When you ask an agency to do that, you're insulting them, you're insulting <clears throat> the profession. Because we don't know what they're trying to do. We don't know who their personas are, who their avatars are. So until you understand what the What did client, you say in your head? <laughs> well, I, I believe I we can said... Make it, uh, we can make this an explicit Okay, podcast. yeah, we can... Uh, I, I don't want to offend the kids, but I, I think we came out and said... Uh, I came out and said, this company's name is now on our shit list. Yeah. So when they call again and looking for something... And, and these are the kind of clients that always say, I need it done for Monday, right? They're always panicked. They're always last minute. So it's like, no, we're... We're, we're done. We're done. Yeah, good yeah. luck. So they'll find someone to do that for them. I'm sure they'll find some freelancer in their basement, and they'll have a terrible ad, and it won't work for them, and they won't understand why. So you have to watch for that. You you wrote a, a really good blog, and how actually just how can people find your blog? Yeah, so it would be at uh, bonfire, bonfirestories.ca, and then it's just called Stories. That's our blog. It's it's quite brilliant, and I had a chance to read it, and it's uh, the title was No Really, Who Is Your Audience? Yeah. Um, and then you reference an essay called uh, A Thousand True Fans. Yeah. Um, so so tell tell people because I learned a lot in reading that, and it was very helpful for me as a small business owner. Yeah, it's a really and it's, it's come up a couple times in a few talks I've done recently. With it's Kevin Kelly is the author who was the uh, co-founder of Wired Magazine, which is a great publication. Um, he writes a lot of books. He's a very thoughtful guy, and he wrote this and then he republished it in Tim Ferriss's Tools of Titans, I think, um, recently. And it's this idea that if you have a thousand true fans, you can make a living. You might not get rich, like you're not going to be Taylor Swift or, or someone like that. But if you have a thousand fans and they each pay a hundred dollars, you can make a living. All right. So then think about what are those thousand fans? What do I need to do to, to pull you know a hundred bucks from them? And he would def- define a, a true fan as someone who will buy anything you do. So they'll buy the box. So you know, Greg with the Grateful Dead. Greg probably has twelve million you know t-shirts, t-shirts demo. <laughs> My tapes. wife won't let me wear any of them. It's probably a good call. Uh, you know, <laughs> They're too tight now, yeah. Greg. <laughs> oh. Easy, Dave. Yeah, come on, Al Statler. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I think... Some people don't let Muffet So it's a really, you know, you can find it online. It's, uh, I think it's kk.org is his website uh, or on the, on the Bonfire site. But it, it's really, okay, I don't need to get a million people to like it. I think this is what these two gentlemen have done really well is think, okay... Who's the core audience we're trying to reach? How do we motivate their behavior? How do we engage with them? And how do we nurture that relationship? Because you can have a killer blog post, and if you don't write a second one, no one's going to remember you in six weeks. So I had this happen to me. I, I publish on LinkedIn every once in a while, and I'm not as diligent or as prodigious as, as Greg is, but I, I published a post about why CEOs should use social media uh, to be prepared for a crisis. And it was Elon Musk before Elon Musk kind of had his... His issues lately, so uh, don't smoke pot on camera if you're a CEO of a major company would be my other suggestion. So it was, it was a, you know, it was a little 
blog post I'd written. I'd published it on the Bonfire blog, and then one Friday we were sitting around having a drink, and I thought, I'll just throw that up on LinkedIn. So I hit publish on LinkedIn at like 5 o'clock on a Friday, terrible time to do it. And then I put my phone away for 24 hours because I try to take a day off uh, a week. So that, you know, Sunday morning I pick up my phone and my phone's exploded. Wow. So for whatever reason, someone who curates content at LinkedIn had shared it in their daily content. And then Reid Hoffman, who's the co-founder of LinkedIn and is a big-time venture capitalist, had shared it on his personal page. Wow. So I had a million comments. And I thought, okay, I'm, I'm done now. Like, I'm a superstar. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I've never repeated it. It never happened again. So, oh, you know, you got to when, when was that? Oh, this was a few years ago now. That is a great did, story. Did you notice an uptake in your followers so, as a result? Uh, that... A little bit, but I don't think, you know, one viral thing. Like, think about how many cool, you know, cat videos you see on Twitter or Instagram. And you go, oh, that's awesome. And you show your, you know, your, your friends or your wife or your partner. And then you don't follow that person, right? So you have to. I think you have to sustain the content and show meaningful value over time. And that's why the, th- the thousand true f- uh, fans is brilliant, and yeah. it, it reduces the anxiety. Yeah, because really. we all know probably a thousand people, yeah. right? Realistically, right? Yeah. So I got I got a quick story in that Steve Martin wrote uh, this cool uh, uh, autobiography, and he talked about the first night he was on the Tonight Show, the first time he was on the Tonight Show, and he he walked out of his apartment the next day after it had been aired, and no one recognized him. You know what I mean? <laughs> he said it was about the tenth time that people started recognizing him. You know, so to yep. your point about you know that one viral thing, um, I, here's a statement that I really appreciate that's connected to the thousand true fans: you won't get rich, but you'll control your destiny. Yeah, yep. that's brilliant. Mm. And, you know, I think that's what we all want to do, right? Um, you know, there are plenty of ways to make a living. Um, it's a question of what do you want to do with your time, and do you want to control your own destiny, or do you want to be controlled by someone else? You can't always do that, and not everybody has that opportunity. But um, I started Bonfire when I was, you know, almost 40 years old. I had two kids and a big mortgage, and sometimes you just got to kind of give her and, and hope it goes well. Nice. So um, one piece of advice you'd give people in, in conclusion around, you know, specifically around this idea of who, who, who your audience really yeah, is. Yeah, I think, you know, you know Greg's Karina, who I, I think is Greg, is in drag, I think, in that. In that yeah. uh, I, I, I was lazy on that yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> sounded very familiar. Uh, you know, I think that, that's a good way to look at it. But you do want to write their name down. And you also have to think about beyond the people that are going to buy your product, who signs the check or who signs the purchase order. So if you're selling into a bigger organization, the person who uses your product or your service might not be the one who pays for it right. or who approves the, right. pay, the payment. So you got to think, okay, maybe I need to reach the, you know, the, the marketing director for us, but the CEO or the CEO is going to make the decision whether or not to, to pay for that. So we have to kind of keep them in mind as well. You know, I, f- I actually had the exact opposite where I went to the CEO and they put me to the HR person, yeah. right? Because, they said, well, they manage the budget. You know, we're interested in the service, right? Yeah. So it, it's, a, it's a very good point. Yeah. But it's really key to understand who you're trying to sell to to segment the audience. I would argue you should probably only have two or three personas. I'm not sure how many. Greg has a bunch of different sort of varied interests, so you might have more than that, Dave. You're probably a little tighter given the nature of your business. But yeah. be as precise as you can and as narrow as you can. So uh, the Canadian Tourism Commission had a great program a few years ago called the Explorer Quotient where they went in and they segmented all, all Canadian travelers and international travelers into seven or eight groups. And they were things like authentic experiencers, so people that wanted to go in and have a real authentic experience. There were cultural explorers, so people that really were into museums and and historical sites. And they built their entire marketing program around that. So they had a data set from Environics Research of thousands of data points. And they could say, okay, you know, this postal code has a proportionate number of authentic experiencers, so we're going to run a billboard in that area that speaks to experience, whereas this postal code 
uh, has much more of the cultural explorer, so we're going to run hmm. a, 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 a billboard that speaks to that or do a direct mail piece or something like that. Wow. So this isn't just for kind of small or medium-sized businesses. It's actually more important the bigger you get, I would argue. And you can segment your list. I know you're going to be talking about email marketing later. Don't say the same thing to all of them in the same way. Right. And I think that's what the EQs were interesting in. Mm. They kind of customized the creative, and they had a guidebook for marketers to say, okay, if you want to speak to this audience – here's the tone, and they would say, here's how you would write a headline for this audience versus that audience. So it really guides all your creative the whole way you communicate with them. Well, it's, it's interesting. Uh, Dave and I always talk about how fortunate we are to have this podcast because every single podcast interview we have, we walk away learning something. And what I'm taking away from this, Alan, is um, I have segmented from personal to business, but I pretty much speak very similarly. So I'm going to challenge myself to uh, to tweak that a little bit. Well, you're, you're you're interesting to me because I don't use my Facebook page for for business stuff. Mm-hmm. My Facebook page is pretty boring. It's pictures of my kids and my dog, right? right? So it's not very interesting. But LinkedIn, I'm all over it. Now I don't like LinkedIn <laughs> as a user interface. It's clumsy. I hate people cheesily selling me things on it and yeah. accepting a, a connection <laughs> and then immediately getting sold something by email. Or, 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 or getting four thousand congratulations on your work anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which I appreciate. It's great. Yeah. Well, um, Alan, this is great. I'd like to put it up to the audience uh, for a question or two. Anybody uh, have a question? Uh, Jake does, and here comes our microphone. He, he's a sponsor, so he gets the yeah, microphone. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the mic. can go first if they want. <laughs> but I have a question about about this process because I've I've done this at different points, consciously or subconsciously, where I I try to imagine who my client is, and especially at the beginning stages of my career in real estate, I made a lot of assumptions going in about who my clients are going to be. I also made assumptions about which clients I'd like to work with, and I was wrong in some cases. And so I wonder about the risk, like when we talk about Drew with his business or, or the woman who was talking about the, uh, the fitness, at what point should we trust ourselves to build that avatar and is there a, re- a review process that you'd recommend, like a sanity check, to see, okay, I've, I've got my assumptions yeah. either based on you know, the business plan that I've created or the business that I've had so far. Is there a, re- a review process to kind of make sure I'm aiming for the right one, both initially when you first start this or the subsequent years when you revisit it and want to refine your business? Is there a good way to double-check that to see That's if you're aiming question. for the right people? Yeah, I think absolutely you have to, in fact. I think it's, you know, your business is going to evolve, right? So when we started Bonfire, it was myself and my business partner, Lisa Hansel. It was two of us. We were down the Red Rose building in a fairly small office. Um, we're seven people now. Um, we could be a little big, bigger, but we're trying to stay to a manageable size. So when you go from two to seven, then the amount of money you need to make to pay everybody changes. So that means your client mix has to change. So we've had to evolve our personas a little bit. So we can't work purely with startups or small businesses. We have to get some bigger sort of projects in there. So the audience who we're trying to speak to and reach on a consistent basis has evolved. So, uh, you know, we, I, I do this as a, as a matter of personal kind of planning, but sit down at the, in, the, in the new year and say, okay, what am I going to do this year? Who am I trying to speak to? What, what are my personal goals and corporate goals for the year? And then kind of sketch that out. So I would absolutely say you have to revisit it. And you'll know if it's not working too, right? And you may find that, hey, this, this client has been good for now, but if, uh, if we were to spend a bit more time on this one, we'd actually make more money and have less stress. And it's not just about money. It's more about can you do good work and help people and make a living at that. Let's take one more question uh, as we wrap up uh, the same. Any other uh, questions for Alan? How many avatars do you think your uh, small business can handle? 
It would depend a little bit on the nature of what your product is, but I would say two or three is as many as I would tend to do because you have to make a decision, right? If you have 25, then you haven't made any decisions, or if you have a dozen. So two or three says, okay, and it doesn't mean you're not going to work with others as opportunities arise. Just this is the two or three that are going to drive the most value, personal satisfaction, profit, whatever your metric would be. So I'm going to focus on those, and I'm going to still take you know, 15 25% of other business from sources we don't know about. Like We don't do many RFPs at Bonfire, so we get referrals all the time. Smart. So sometimes they're Very great. smart. Yeah, well, I'm in the middle of one right now, so yeah, I shouldn't. <laughs> not smart. Uh, not smart, no. Uh, 10,000 words later. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's being intentional about it, because I think for a lot of small businesses, you're not particularly, and I count myself in this as well, we're not as intentional as we should be. We'll say, hey, the phone rang. We made money this month. Everybody got paid. It's a great month, right? But as you evolve, you realize, yeah, that's probably not the right metric, right? What are we working on? Mm-hmm. Are we growing? What's the path forward? And start thinking through those ways. And, and you, can, you can help people that are interested yep. through this exercise, mm-hmm. I would imagine. Yeah, right? and, I, you know, and I, I don't think there's any great science to it. I think you know, Greg's done a great job explaining it. It's just really thinking it through. And then the, the challenge is being disciplined in your communications to them to ensure that you're kind of hitting the mark. And what you don't want to do is talk about yourself all the time because right? nobody wants to opt into that. Right? There's too many good cat videos on the Internet uh, to want to wanna listen to someone talk about themselves. So provide value, and I know the guys are going to get into that a bit later. That's awesome. So let's give it up for Alan Gates. Now, before I go... Uh, I, feel like, I feel like we're going to be thrown under the bus. No, here. no, I'm actually going to... I'm thanking you, because I'm, I'm the vice chair of the United Way this year, oh. ah. and uh, Dave and Greg have done tremendous work for the United Way serving... Uh, St. John, Charlotte, and Kings Counties, That's I think correct. it is, yeah. so, uh, as a formal title. So it's south, southwestern New Brunswick. So they've initiated the Million Dollar Pledge, uh, and they're co-chairs of the capital campaign this year, the fundraising campaign this yeah. year. So I just wanted to give them a shout-out for their involvement in the awesome. community and say thank you. Thank you, thank Alan. You. Thank right. you, Alan. Appreciate that. Appreciate that, All brother. Right. All right. And make sure you check out bonfirestories.ca or .com. Bonfirestories.ca and huddle.today. And make sure you sign up for the daily huddle email. Yes. You'll get all your relevant business news for people under 80 in your inbox every morning. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right, Alan, right, thank you. Thanks for checking out this episode of Boiling Point. Remember to rate and subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Boiling Point Pod. To see more from Dave Vale, check out leadershipunleashed.ca or visioncoachinginc.com and on Twitter at Dave underscore Vale. And to catch up with Greg, visit Hemmingshouse.com and at Greg Hemmings on Twitter. Thanks for listening and remember, keep that pot boiling. Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer. Such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster and not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100% because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. 
Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. <laughs>